Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. I want to ask you if you would um, take your Bibles this morning and let's turn once again to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15 for one more one more sermon today, and we'll probably start something new next next week together. Um, I know that some of you are. Who are my beach people out there? I got a few beach people. Oh yeah, there's a few of them. I know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we love the beach. Love the beach, right? The yep. I know. Yes. <laughs> some of this, not not hands raised as much as this going on. Yeah. The sun and the waves and the uh, you know the. The relaxation and that gentle breeze. People love the beach, right? Unless you don't love the beach, you know? All those people that love the sun, you know, there's the sunburn that goes with it. And you know, all those waves out there, there's, you know, riptides that carry you off to Mexico, you know? Jellyfish and sharks that you swim with and get that sting and all that. That's no good either, is it? And then, you know, the sand, it multiplies, and there's all that, you know, chafing involved, you know? And so, for all the good things about the beach, there's also some bad things about the beach, right? I tell you that because sometimes when we talk about Jesus and we talk about people coming to Jesus and following Jesus, we talk about all the good things. And listen... There's a lot of good things about coming to Jesus. There's a lot of blessings and a lot of wonderful things. We experience eternal life. We experience freedom from sin. We've sang about all those things this morning, and I'm so grateful for all of those things. And there are some very, very, very good things about coming to Jesus. But you also need to know this morning that if you come to Jesus, it does not fix every one of life's problems. If, if you try to share with someone, if you just come to Jesus, you know, it'll all be better. You'll never be sick again. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And, and it's just all going to be wonderful from here on out. That's just not true. It's just not true. All problems don't vanish when we choose to follow Jesus. Our biggest problem vanishes when we choose to follow Jesus. When we come to Jesus... Our sin is forgiven and we are right with the Father and our sin issue is the biggest problem that any of us have. But not all of our problems go away. In fact, the Bible is very clear and honest about this, that when you walk with Christ, there will be hardship. In fact, if you choose to walk with Christ, you invite a whole new set of problems into your life because you are now at odds and different from the world in which you live. We have been talking through this, these, few weeks, these last few weeks in October, we have been talking about what it means to abide. That's what John chapter 15 is about. That's what this little series has been about. What does it mean to abide? The definition that we have landed on is that to abide is to be in this permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. That's what it means to abide. You are in Christ. To abide means, the first week we looked at that connection, that he is the vine and you are the branches, you are in him. We talked about that connection between the vine, the branches, the fruit, and the vine dresser that Jesus addresses in the first part of this section. 
The last time we were together, we talked about the command that Jesus gives us. That command is to love one another. And he says, this will be the proof that you are abiding if you love one another. This will be the fruit that will be displayed on the branches. If you are in union with me, this is what it will look like. Today, we want to look at the last part of John 15 and a few verses into 16. The title of the message today is The Commitment. Because abiding means that you're in him. There's a commitment to be in him. It's, it's not always easy to abide in the sense that it's not always going to go well and not all of our problems go away. Real branches endure. They don't fall away, even when things are hard. So today, let's look to what Jesus would say to us in this last section We're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to read through the first few verses of 16. I'll say before I read through, you know that these chapters and verses, Jesus didn't speak in chapters and verses. You know, the chapters and verses are added to our Bibles so that you know where I'm fixing to start reading. And so just because we have this break in a chapter doesn't mean that Jesus' thought ended in chapter 15, right? There's this continuation as 14, 15, and 16 all go together. So let's start in verse 18 of chapter 15. That's Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When we read these verses of Scripture, what can we expect? A while ago I said, When you come to Jesus, it invites a whole new set of problems into your life in some ways, right? What can we expect when we come to Jesus? What can we expect? Because what what Jesus is happening here is he's fixing to leave them, right? He's fixing to leave and, and ascend to the Father. He's fixing to die on the cross, be buried, raised again, and then ascended to the Father. And he's not going to be physically present with them. And remember, he's preparing them for what it's going to be to follow him after he's gone. And so he's trying to help them understand everything that they should expect. It's true for them. It's true for us. 
Let's spend the rest of our time today talking about some things that you should expect if you are going to abide in Jesus. The first thing that you should expect is you should expect hatred from the world. You should expect hatred from the world. That's a strong word that Jesus uses, but it's true. Now, we have done this over the last couple in some of our last couple of services, but let's just make sure that we understand. When we talk about the world, we're talking about society or or people that are separate from God. We're talking about those who do not honor God, those that do not know God. We're talking about the world in that sense. You know, the Bible will often use that word world, but they don't all mean the same thing, right? So sometimes um, where, it, it, where it talks about that he created the world, that, that the world was made by him, that's, that's, one, that's one way to refer to the world, the created world that we live in. Another would be like to talk about humanity, God so loved the world. He loved humanity. He loved all the world. Um, but in the sense that we're talking about it, we're talking about the world. The society separate from God, the verses that would tell us do not love the world or anything in the world would kind of be what we're talking about there. That's, the, that's what we're talking about. The Wycliffe Commentary describes the world as unredeemed society estranged from God, held in the grip of sin and the evil one blind to spiritual truth, and hostile to those who have life in God. Jesus says, if you choose to follow me, the world is going to hate you. And notice that it's your association with Jesus that makes that so. Jesus says, the world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would... Oh, go back down to verse 20. Remember the word that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also, also persecute you. Jesus wants us to know that if, if he comes in sinless perfection and lives on this earth and is rejected and hated and persecuted, what hope do we have in our flawed state of being, right? I love this. This is J.C. McCullough. He says, this is pretty long, but in, and he's going to quote several people, so I'm not jumping around. This is all him, okay? He says, if the world had nothing better than a cross for Jesus, it will not have a royal carriage for his followers. If only thorns for him, there will not be garlands for us. Four centuries before Christ, the great philosopher Plato expressed a belief which proved to be prophetic. He said, I am of the opinion that the truly righteous man, if he were to appear in the world, would be scourged, would be thrown into fetters, and would be hanged. He came, and so it happened. But someone said the attitude of the world is very different from what it was when Jesus was here on earth. The world has learned his worth, and if he were to come back now, he would be received with mighty ovations and heralded as the world's savior and sovereign. But would he? Thomas Carlyle said, if Christ came to London today, they would take him to Newgate and hang him. Jesus Christ would make such an exposure of the sin which goes unchecked all around us, even as he tore the mask off the Pharisees of that other day, that he would not be long endured. We are in enemy territory. Let us not expect the treatment of friends. When Jesus came, he was perfect and still persecuted. On down in verse 25, you see it says that the word that's written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. 
David's quoting, uh, I mean, uh, Jesus is quoting David there in Psalm 38, Psalm 69, places where David was not perfect, but where David felt no felt no guilt or, or didn't feel like he was being he was being pursued or he was being attacked by those around him but but seemingly without cause. I've done nothing wrong in this situation. They hated me without cause. This this way where Jesus was righteous and yet they hated him for it. And for you and I, by our association with him, they will hate us too. The system of this world only desires conformity. And if I've even heard people say things like that this week, and they'll say things like, um, like there's, there's one group that you should really be, this is someone you know in the world, someone would say, I'll tell you one group that you should really be careful of. It's evangelical Christians. Now, why is that different? Why is that different? Why does that stand out? Because if you think just for a little while, there's conformity to a lot of things, right? There's, there's, con, there's conformity in a lot of places where, or diversity in a lot of places in society. But really, society doesn't care if you love Jesus just as long as you conform enough to be like them. See, if you would say something like the exclusivity of Jesus, they don't like. They prefer, the world would prefer that you be like them. In fact, you'll notice that in verse 19, he says that the reason that you are hated is because you're not like them. He says, if you were of the world, they would love you as its own. There is a kind of love that the world offers. There is a kind of acceptance that the world offers. But because you are not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. You understand to be called out of the world doesn't mean that you don't live in reality as a Christian. It does mean that the things that are earthly, the thing, you, you live right here in this material earthly world, but you view that material earthly world with a different perspective. And that should be evident. Christ says they will hate you because of that. Um, fitting in with the world is not what we're called to do. Like, think for just, like, that's not what we're called to do. If, if fitting in with the world was the mission, then we don't need Jesus for that. We were doing just fine before Jesus in fitting in with the world. What he said is, I have called you to be different. I've called you not just in an external way, like, like the Amish, you know, not just in an external way are you to be different. I'm talking about you are to be different. The world desires that you conform to them and look like them, but if you are transformed by Jesus, that makes people very uncomfortable. I've often heard people say, you know, um, I don't trust a man that doesn't cuss around me. You know, I'm not sure what there is about that because it makes people uncomfortable. There's, an, there's, there's something that's uncomfortable about that. And, and what's being said is, is that if you were more like us, if, if, if everything about your life was the same, then you, we would be more comfortable around you, Christian. But you, you do some things that are weird and strange and different than us, and I'm not sure that I can accept all of that. I don't know if there's any guilt involved in that, but there's something happening there. 
Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So think about that like doing like what the world wants to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They malign you for not doing what they're doing. Now, let's stop right here before we read the next section. The problem is if you're a Christian and you participate in all of that, there's no reason for them to see any difference and there's no reason for them to malign you because you conform enough to the world, right? Look at verses 14 through 16, though. Peter says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Not all suffering is for the name of Christ, you see. He's saying if you murder and you go to the electric chair, that's not suffering that's because of Christ. You see, if you, if you steal and, and you get beat up because you steal something from somebody, that's not suffering that's, that's because of your own bad decisions. He says you suffer for Christ, and that will make the difference. If you consider the world and their dislike for not just Christians and the idea of loving one another, but the idea that really is the biblical basis of what Christ has called us to, there's a problem. D.A. Carson says this, They, the world, demonstrate their forbearance and large-hearted goodness when they confront diverse opinion, varied lifestyles, and even idiotic practices. In other words, let me translate. The world will accept anybody with any, uh, any proclivity that they have. You want to be a cat and use a litter box? We accept that. That would be an example. See what I'm saying? That would fall into the idiotic practices portion of what I just read. They demonstrate, the world demonstrates their forbearance and their large-hearted goodness when they confront any kind of diverse opinion or any varied lifestyles or even idiotic practices. But if some Christian claims that Christianity is exclusive, as Jesus insisted, or that moral absolutes exist because they're grounded on the character of God as the Bible teaches, or that there is a hell to be shunned as well as a heaven to be gained, the most intemperate language is used to excoriate that poor fool because the world does hate. What Jesus is saying in this passage is true, and there should be a marked difference in your life. You can expect hatred from the world, but the second thing you can expect is you can expect hostility to the gospel. Hostility for the gospel. The world does not like the message that we have come to share. Right? They don't like you because you don't conform to the world. Your association with Jesus has pulled you out of this world and you have been transformed by him rather than conformed to the world. But the world is hostile to the message that you share and primarily the message of the gospel is that Jesus is the only way. This gets to the real heart of the issue here. This gets to where the real hatred comes from, and it's met with hostility or even violence. In fact, if you look at the passage that we have read here, notice that there is a, um, 
there's uh, like uh, an, an, an intensification as it walks through the text. So if you go up to verses 18 and 19, the word that's used is hatred. That's a strong word. The world hates you. Know that they hated me, the world hates you. But then if you go down to verse 20, it gets a little stiffer. They persecuted me. Go down into verse chapter 16 and verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. They will excommunicate you, have no contact with you. Look at the rest of verse 16. Whoever kills you will think he's doing a service to God. Let's stop and talk about that verse for just a minute. For Jesus, and when he's saying this, you can very easily hear the disciples say, or you can very easily think about the Pharisees would say, this is some kind of Jesus, this is some kind of cult. This is not Judaism. This is not following the one true God. This is a cult, and we have to eradicate this cult. I believe that was, that was Saul's mindset, in, right? Paul's mindset before he came to Christ. Is This is a cult. Let's get rid of it. We're doing this service for God by getting rid of them. Do you know the world would say that today? See, the world would say this today, and this is how they would look at it. They would say it this way. They would say, well, if Jesus is the only way, you're saying that anybody who doesn't follow Jesus goes to hell. That's hatred. That's not what God's about. That, that's not what a loving God is about. And so if you have that kind of message, the best thing we could do is get rid of you. If we, if we could just wipe all of you out, that would be a service to a loving God. It's not the God of the Bible they're talking about, right? But in their mind, it would, they would believe they were doing God a service because that doesn't really represent the kind of love that he is by telling a person that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. When you think about what's going on here and the things that are mentioned in chapter 16 in those first four verses, the putting out of the synagogues, the killing them, thinking that they're offering a service to God, these were the things that happened to the disciples after Jesus was crucified. These religious leaders thought that they had gotten rid of Jesus. They had put that message on the cross and nailed it and speared it, and it's done and, and buried. The problem is, he came back, and then his followers keep persisting in saying the same things that he did. And so you have to do something with those who share this message. You know, we live in this place where we think that that age of persecution is over with. When we think that God would never allow his people to experience hardship or trials. The studies show that, that an, an estimated number would be that about 8,000 people every year worldwide are killed for their, as a direct is a direct link to their faith in, G in Jesus. About 8,000 people. 111 countries around the world either persecute or outright eliminate Christians. It's outright illegal to be a Christian in those countries. In, uh, in 100 million Christians around the world today are experiencing some kind of persecution for their faith. And just because we live here in America and we meet freely in this building... We, in some ways, do not have a real grasp on the passage that we've read today. When we talk about the world hating us, we think about the ugly thing that that person said to us in the break room at work. And that's very different than a Christian around the world would read this text. 
we are far too soft in some ways to recognize what it means when Jesus says, they hate you. But see, because of their hostility to the gospel, that's really what they're hostile to. Because to persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. You see, when it says in these passages, like if you go up and you look at maybe some place like in verse 22, it's showing their heart. In verse 22, he says, if I had not come and spoken, they would not have been guilty of sin. They would not have, that doesn't mean they would be sinless. What it means is, is that Jesus coming initiated this this uh, uh, opportunity for them to reject him by which they were rejecting the Father because he says, they do not know the Father, nor do they know me. And it's your connection with, with him where you are, where he showed them that he was God and they rejected the one true God. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20, he began to, Jesus began to denounce cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21 says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, would you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. See, you can't treat the son one way and the father another. So they hate the gospel because the gospel says that Jesus is the only way. But what they're doing in rejecting Jesus is they're also rejecting God the Father. I'm talking about the people that we know around us that would say, look, I, I believe in God, but now I don't believe Jesus is the only way. Jesus' words are, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so there is something there where Jesus is making an exclusive claim. Whether you believe those claims or not, Jesus has said over and over again, I am the only way. You either believe those words or you don't believe those words, but you can't take Jesus' words and twist them to mean that Jesus also believed that if you just believe something, you're good. That's, you can't take Jesus' words to mean that. The reason that they are hostile to you is because you call for people to come to Jesus, to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus. We do not like rejection. But Jesus says, if you share the message of the gospel, you, if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you should expect persecution. And it is because if Christ exists and what you are saying about him is true, then there's someone to answer to. But if none of that is true, I have nothing to answer for and I can live my life the way I want to. There's very much some mental gymnastics to get over that hurdle and push those things out of the way. You either you, 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 you choose not to believe that. Now, most of the people that we live in the world with are not, they do not hate Jesus outright, right? But most people in the world are just ambivalent to Jesus. They just, they just don't care anything about him. But Jesus answers to those people and said, you are either with me or you are against me. There's not a middle road here. 
And so even those who are ambivalent to Jesus and, and think nothing about him, while it may not be outright hatred, there is something to opposing Jesus and to opposing the Father and to hating the gospel and the message that we share. D.A. Carson, again, speaking of those who don't know Christ, says, he's speaking about us here, former rebels who have by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in their rebellion. And the reason that they are hostile to the gospel is because they are in rebellion to the king of the universe and they refuse to bend the knee to him. You can expect hatred for the world and hostility for the gospel, but if you focus on verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15, you can, you can expect help from the Spirit. The truth is, is that you and I, when we think for a moment about what he has called us to do in this abiding, we are not abiding in our own power, right? We are commanded to, to abide in him, right? But we don't do that apart from the Holy Spirit being in our life and working in and through us. The Bible's very clear that you and I will not be, we will not escape this world. We will not escape the persecution of this world over and over again. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, we talked about suffering and about Job and what it meant to suffer. And, and, and tied to this, the Bible's very honest about us suffering as Christians in John chapter 15, Jesus prayed in the garden. Notice that it's not Jesus' intention to remove us from the evil of this world. Jesus prayed and said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You and I, the promise of Scripture is, we're not going to be taken out of this world. You can expect their hatred. You can expect their hostility. But you can also expect the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in those moments. In verse 26, he says, when the Helper comes, the one that I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. In verse 26, that word Helper, some of you, if you have a King James, it's the word Comforter. In the Greek, it would be the word, some of you are familiar with it, that paraclete, paracletus, that paraclete. Par think about para, think about, um, think about parallel lines, para, parallel lines. They run alongside each other. And think about like uh, that leet part. Think about like an athlete, you know, you think about that. So like the idea would be, in my mind, those words, of, uh, a paraclete. It's one who comes alongside and runs with you. It's one who comes alongside and bears the burden with you right? The boys run cross country and we'll, we'll stand there and we'll cheer them on when they come around the bend. Last night we took a ride up to, uh, we, we just happened upon a little fundraiser race and they, there were so many runners we couldn't get our car out so we just decided to become cheerleaders and we stood outside our car and as those people would come by we would cheer them on, keep it up, keep it up and then they would when they were slow, they would offer us all the excuses as to why they weren't running. You know, <laughs> I'm recovering from COVID. It's real bad, you know. Uh, you know, they'd tell us all these reasons. You know, there were people there that they were having to answer to then. Look, buddy, we're just telling you good job. Just keep it up, you know. We're not trying to make you feel guilty. Just, just keep up. Climb that hill, you know. We were trying to encourage them and be there for them. That's the idea. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and bears those burdens with us. Because you and I are the primary means to which God looks to, to reach the world. In verse 27, it says, you will also bear witness. 
because you have been with me from the beginning. You will bear witness about me. And you see, when you and I face persecution as Christians, when you and I are are in Christ and we're abiding, we're going to approach persecution differently. The Bible says that those who are saved are those who endure to the end. Do you understand what that, what that means? That doesn't mean, you know, when, when God, uh, I saw this video this week of these, um, of these three girls. They were on a, on a boat out in the ocean. They were having a good time, swimsuits, drinks in their hand. And they were on the, the bow of this boat, on the front of this boat, and they were, the, the boat hit some waves. And as those waves began to, to blow those girls, they were struggling. They were sliding all over the front of that boat. They were holding on to those to the rail of the boat. And that, that, every time they'd get their feet up under them, here would come another wave. You know, hit them again. When God put Noah on that ark, you know, God didn't tell Noah, Noah, here's a rail, here's a handle. You just hang on for dear life. Now, if you fall off, too bad. Sorry, buddy. You're done for. That's not what happened. God took Noah and his family into the ark and he sealed them in. Do you know what happens if you're in Christ? Do you know what happens if you're a branch attached to the vine? You are not abiding in him because you're just holding on. He's holding on to you. He has sealed us in him. And when the Bible says that those who endure to the end will be saved, it's showing that you are truly one of his if you endure to the end. If you don't endure, you might not be one of his. Isn't it interesting to what would happen if someone came in here today and at gunpoint told us that, that you know, you can only, if you, if you want to get up and leave from here and you, you want to go out of here, you can leave. We'll allow you to leave. You can leave. But anybody that stays. You see, then there's, then there's this issue of our faith. And, and would we, would we, with the pressure of a government or an army or a gun, would we endure? You see, the thing about persecution is, is today, in just a moment, we're going to take this Lord's Supper together. And this that we're going to be taking together is a reminder that what he has called us to is not easy. What he said is, abide in me. Abide in me and trust in me. Because a, a, a servant is not greater than the master. And what happened to the master? Every time we gather around this table, we are reminded that he, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That's what they did to him. That's what they did to righteousness. This morning, I know that if you've listened to this message said, David, if you're trying to get people to come to Jesus, <laughs> keep talking about at gunpoint and keep talking about, you know, slaughter. Come to Jesus and get slaughtered. You know, there's that old song that um, Miss Shirley used to play a lot. Some of you Center Grove people remember. You know, you know, the song in the old red book, Come and Dine, you know. I remember somebody at one point was, was laughing and saying when they were a little kid and they would hear people sing that song, they often thought that they were saying, come and die, you know. In some ways, do you know what he's called us to do? 
come and die and take up our cross daily and follow him. Set aside those comforts. Set aside what what you think your life should be and surrender to him. Not because we lash ourselves and we torture ourselves in order to, to achieve some sort of righteousness. We are only righteous through the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.